firstly, thanks for everyone um, for the support over the last almost two years now. Um, yeah, I've been kind of fucking half-assing it the last few weeks, so um, I promise I'll do better. Um, f- so, we have a thing for three. Uh, if you think in religion, uh, the Holy Trinity, in storytelling we've got Goldilocks and the Three Bears, and then in literature we've got the three-act play. And then in general life we've got, you know, first, middle, last name, third time's a charm, win, lose, or draw, snack, crackle, pop. So keep that in mind. Um, I actually went down to the river today for some fishing, uh, now that the season is slowly waking up from its kind of winter hibernation. So basically winter time, the rainwater pushes all the salt water out from the river, and then with the with the breeding fish species, then also moving either closer to the river mouth or just into the bay. Um, so you will find the water to be kind of dirty and murky, as you know all the salt and branches and washed away river banks and everything kind of gets um, you know pushed down down river uh, during the winter time, and then um, as summer returns and the salt water pushes back up into the river uh, the water becomes not only saltier again but also the visibility returns and so does the fish so although although it's still kind of early end of december january is usually a good time to go and try and catch some shad or perhaps a nice sized garrick you know to braai uh which you know at that, um, if you ever had to catch uh, shad or garrick uh, do not freeze it it's horrible um, it's a horrible fish to freeze, um, so it's the two species that I would definitely recommend to you know prepare on the day that it gets uh, that it was caught. Um, also, while I'm on that list uh, on that uh, topic, uh, both of these fish uh, these fish are actually on the sassy red list, so it's actually illegal to buy or sell them. Um, so either stick to re- catch and release, which is kind of what I'm doing. Um, if you're not going to eat it, or if you do want to keep one for yourself, obviously stay within the uh, size limit and obviously the bag limit. So uh, rather look for something like snook or yellowtail, which is on the both on the on the green sassy list, um, or even better, something like harders. Uh, I think harders are on the orange list, but the reason for that is I think the bycatch is so big because harders are caught with nets. So there's a lot of extra shit that gets caught with, you know, um, when, when catching harder, so I think that's the reason. So it's not necessarily that the numbers are dwindling, um, the southern mullets' numbers are dwindling, it's much rather the fact that there's so much extra fish and bycatch by, uh, each time um, you know people go out to catch harders. But I still believe, pound for pound, harders are the undisputed champ uh, in fish. It's oily, it's fatty, and it's cheap as hell. And um, I think it's like... Shit, I don't know, 20, uh, 15 to 20 around a kilo, which, you know, if you add salad and some extras, 20 to, uh, a kilo is probably enough to, f- to feed two people. Um, and fresh hodders, you know, they don't need much prep other than coarse salt and, you know, a good fire. So, uh, and then a few turns until the skin kind of breaks when you pinch it and bobs your auntie. Then, uh, you know, if you've, if you've got some farm butter and jam on a homemade bread, with fish on top of that, uh, you've got a really good meal going. Um, anyway, so before I get to my point, uh, maybe I'll just give a quick kind of history lesson or background on the harder. Um, it's an aphrodisiac. 
in some parts of the West Coast. So the husband will arrive at home with a bunch of harders strung around his neck, almost like pearls. And the women around these parts of the world kind of tend to find these men irresistible. Uh, no, not really. Actually, uh, what you do find is some people, when buying them, they do hang them outside of the car, on the side uh, mirror, or even on the back of the tow ball, which I've seen people drive all the way back to Cape Town with this fucking fish strung, um, you know, a uh, string of fish hanging the outside of the vehicle. So I'm not lying about that. But if, this, if the smell is too much, just opt for a packet of small strips, which is usually already cleaned and sealed in a little plastic bag. Or the, the bokum powder, which is kind of, you know, nice if you want to make bokum butter or bokum bread or use it as a spread. And then also you've got the chili-infused bokum that kind of comes in this handy little tub. So there's many ways that you can buy them. And there's even more ways, obviously, that you can enjoy these um, harders and the dried version being the bokum. So anyway, locally, you know, they are found, they are known as harders. Uh, but essentially, it's just a southern mullet, uh, which you know, can be found all along the South African coastline. So about 94% of South Africa's bokum is produced in Feldruf, which is kind of seen as the bokum. And some will even say the drinking capital of South Africa. Um, and this is all done in a series of these small little individual bokum aces, which is located along the Berg River. Uh, each bokum ace has its own little jetty out on the river in front. Uh, which was before the the main bridge coming into Feldhof was built in, I think it was 1955, and fishing was still done in the river. These boats used to then, you know, uh, offload either from the, the jetty in front of the buildings or the sea jetty, which you can still, that's still visible out uh, out in the bay, just outside the, the uh, river, river mouth. Uh, but due to overfishing and netting, in the river, uh, it's now prohibited. So all the fish that you see now, it has to be caught outside of, uh, you know, out in, in, in the bay. Anyway, so um, besides that, obviously this part of the world is also the ideal place for the bokum industry due to the fact that they have the access to mullet just being off the coast. Uh, the weather conditions are ideal for drying the fish. You know, we've got dry summers and relatively low rainfall. And, it, and obviously, you know, this area has access to huge amounts of the uh, sea salt in, uh, as the spring tide pushes the, the water over the extent of salt pans. And that's also why we have one of the largest, I don't know how big it is compared to others, but we've got quite a big, uh, um, a large salt factory, um, you know, that's based in, in Feldruf. So, um, you know, and then also, obviously, unlimited amount of fresh water in the form of the, the river. So uh, the proper way of preparing bokum usually starts with actually catching the small mullets by net, uh, like I mentioned earlier. Then um, when they get to the building, a large square tank that's usually built from brick or in the old, more traditional um, sense, it was made from seashells and lime and local sediment, is then basically filled, like a bath, essentially, with a strong pickle that's then made with you know l a big amount of coarse salt and fresh water, to which the fish is then added, and then um, you know. By the way, if you ever stroll along Bokumlan, there's a guy called Amos, short guy, big smile, always happy to take visitors on a tour and show them the process. But anyway, as soon as there is enough fish in these baths, uh, and you know the fish is uh, is all the way to the top, then they add two or three of uh, spades of dry uh, coarse salt, spread it along the top, and then, uh, you know, they keep layering the fish and the salt um, until everything is nice and covered. And then a big layer of salt gets added to the top, 
which then gets left for a day. And then on the second day, depending, I mean, these can vary as well. You know, sometimes the, uh, the first day, second day or third day, they'll usually add a weighted wooden press. And this is placed on top of the fish. And the purpose of the press is then to make sure that the guts uh, is, you know, but all the air is kind of um, squished out of the, the, the stomachs as, you know, for the fish not to go bad. And then after the third day or second day, depending on the conditions, uh, the, f- the fish is then taken out and then strung in bunches of 10 fish on a small piece of rope, making use of a fish needle, which is then pushed through the eye of the fish. And then these these um, uh, string of fish then get dipped a few times in fresh water before they're basically hung outside to dry on the scaffolds. So um, obviously, you know, uh, the ideal conditions being uh, lots of wind, and not too much sunlight. So at night time, um, you know, the, all the fish is brought back into the inside the buildings to prevent it from drawing in uh, damp. And then the next day they will take it out again. So this process, you know, every day you will see them moving in and out depending on the weather. And then, you know, depending on the weather, it could take from two days to seven days or even more in the winter time. Uh, anyway, so actually there's the USS Harder, SS uh 257, which is one of the most decorated submarines in the World War II, with six war patrols under her prop, was actually named after the harder. So, although this little mullet does make your mouth smell like you've been tongue-punching the ass of a goat, it is a pretty special little fish. Anyway, that was just a kind of uh, a long way to, get to try and get to my point. Um, what I was trying to make, uh, the point I was trying to make at the beginning is consistently throughout the years, or let's just say the last, I don't know, five to eight big garricks that I caught uh, in the river, which, you know, by the way, was all released. I didn't take a single one of these garricks that I've, that I caught in the last few years. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe I am due for taking one for a car ride next time I'm down at the river. Uh, anyway, all these uh, predatory fish that has been consistently caught, uh, by me, um, give or take, was all done at the same spot, roughly at the same time of day, same tide, same wind, and the same lure. Um, I have two different lures, but you know, both of them basically consistently been um, on the money. So, in able to benefit from all of this, you know, we can call we can call that um, you know, uh, kind of experience you know to understand or reading and understanding what works and what does not work how fast to reel in where to cast how to land a big garrick on light tackle and all that jazz but more importantly when all those conditions match up you know where to find me so in 1958 uh, there was a german psychologist and neuroscientist uh, klaus conrad who was studying people suffering from schizophrenia um as well um as for these patients, they were experiencing delusion as a form of releva- um, revelation. So humans are hotwired to look for patterns in random data for us to kind of extract order from disorder, basically connecting patterns between unrelated things, um, which essentially, in which basically was coined uh, apathenia. So the fact that we as humans have the ability to exploit patterns in nature uh, has given us such a massive evolutionary boost or advantage so us as humans you know we that spot uh, that as humans we spot these patterns uh, and then are less likely to to get eaten or more likely to gather f- uh, more food you know and hence more likely to obviously pass these genes on to the next generation 
So, you know, so these are patterns that I developed, understanding that if this wind blows, if I use this lure, if I go this time of day with this tide, there's a pattern. Um, and if I take advantage of this pattern, I get a fish on the hook. So the problem is, is once these, uh, once this becomes kind of hot, uh, hardwired, our tendency to look for patterns tends to override simple logic. So we know that clouds, you know, are not designed to look like fucking dinosaurs or little Smurf tickling Pinocchio's bum, but we still see these pictures in the clouds. You know, we see Jesus or the falling water by Frank Lloyd Wright in the embers of a fire or whatever. So it actually takes quite quite a little quite little information or visual cues for us to for our minds to do this. You know, the human brain is basically a pattern recognition uh, device. So we are programmed at a very deep level to look for familiar patterns in our environments, which um, you know has been selected f uh, f by evolution, because the ability to recognize patterns gives us the ability to protect ourselves and to provide for ourselves better. And in this case, fish. So we automatically look for patterns, for connections to things we recognize, and then, as so we we see them uh, whether they are there or not. That's you know, uh, it's almost like the heap of laundry that sits on the on the chair during the the day, which then turns into the scary figure at night, real fucking quick. Which now that I think about it, maybe you know, which comes, maybe that's not something. Maybe that's something completely different, similar to like sleep paralysis, which whoever ever got to experience this is the scariest fucking non-lethal thing that can happen during night during a uh, you know a sleeping session um i th i had it once with twice within a month and that figure which i never saw but i did has not left my conscience but anyway we can we can revisit um, sleep paralysis another time my point i'm trying to make is uh, patterns uh, we live by them and we also suffer through them um we do bad things, or do bad things really happen in threes? Um, I've definitely experienced bad things in threes, you know, um, or a repetition of bad things happening. Um, and after the third one, you you think like, Phew, finally, I'm clean, I'm released, I'm cleansed. But um, how many of you ever think why those bad things happened? You know, perhaps it's karma, perhaps it's life's way of payback for something you did or didn't do. Perhaps you stole, you know, fucking Pam's lunch from the fridge at work, or perhaps you, you know, littered. Maybe you were a dick to the lady at spa, or maybe, like in my case, you didn't do something, which is most of the time for me, you know, the biggest issue or the biggest thing that I'm trying to live by is not to necessarily do bad things, but not doing something good. Uh, to give you an example. Um, you know, and I've seen it many times. How many times? Maybe you drove past a mole snake trying to cross a busy road, or a tortoise, you know, stuck in the middle of the uh, busy highway. And you know, all that they these animals needed was for someone to stop, help, and assist them to cross the road safely. But you drove drove straight over it, you know, not necessarily killing it, but let, letting the next person to decide if they're going to live or die. Until you get eventually to the dick who's going to drive straight over these animals and kill them without hesitation. So. It would have costed you fuck all to stop and help them, but you decided to not do anything. So life decided, you know, to to do you. If you don't want to do life, then you know life will kind of come come and do you. So 
for me, I always try to help the snake, help the tortoise cross the road by either pulling it by the tail or letting the tortoise piss on my hand. But knowing that I've, you know, that he can continue on his journey, you know, makes it all worth it. And I know that I kind of remove myself from that possibility that karma might come to me because I didn't do something, not necessarily because I did something bad. So uh, perhaps maybe there's perhaps a degree of the bottom line of effect that comes into play when we think about things when it happens in threes. Perhaps they don't. You know, as soon as a bad thing happens, we start to look out for the next two uh, things and then we count them as they happen. So we acknowledge them as bad things and as being tangible. So our increased awareness then creates the illusion that it's appearing again and again. It's the same as if you ever noticed, you know, if you're sitting in, let's, um, if you ever sit in traffic and you notice a jeep and then all of a sudden you, re- you, s- you notice jeeps everywhere and it seems like there's more jeeps on the roads than there were before. And this is basically called the frequency bias or the bottom of uh, the bottom line of effect. So perhaps all of this has a hand in why we tend to count things when bad things happen. Perhaps many bad things cross our path just before we notice them as bad things and started counting. And then the funny thing is we decided that, okay, it's three. Three bad things happen. Now I can continue my day. I'm cleansed. You know, I'm released. So... You know, the problem is, is correlation doesn't equal causation, which, because two things, or in this case three, occur together, doesn't necessarily mean that one causes the other. But we can't automatically notice the pattern, and assuming it does. So, and then also uh, what we do is latch onto this negativity of bad things happening, and negativity is a magnet for more negativity. So when we are also also stuck in that loop of having to remove ourselves from thinking negative and move towards thinking positive you know so we need to so basically we're surrounding um, ourselves with things that exhibit a a positive or ordered geometry we are kind of reverberating this ordered frequency so the concept can be applied to many other things as well such as acting from compulsion and reaction which is disordered to acting intelligently and consciously which is ordered Um, you know these pattern recognition and enforcement tendencies was extremely helpful for cavemen trying to survive in a stone age hunter-gatherer society which is you know 95 percent of our time on this planet but it seems like it's somewhat detrimental when it comes to making rational choices in a highly interconnected technological world you know which is the last one percent of our time on the planet so my question is does bad things happen in three the more i think we convince um, ourselves that they do the more evidence we'll find that seems to prove you know our original assumption so um does things happen in three fuck the only thing that doesn't happen in three is catching garrick you know it's always only one at a time but that's a good thing you know so we never tend to to count things when it's going good it's the same as waking up not realizing or acknowledging that you're feeling not that you're not sick, but you will immediately notice uh, and recognize when you do feel sick. It's quite interesting. Um, and I think that's the that's one of our flaws as human beings. Um, anyway, that's it. Um, hope everyone have a good week and uh, enjoy the weekend. Ciao.